It is the Goo Pinnacle Podcast, inspiration and information for athletes. I'm Eldon Fatty Nelson. And I'm Yuri Hauswald from Goo Energy Labs. And today we are going to be talking with Magda Boulay. Yuri, you've known Magda for a long time, haven't you? Oh, I, I have known Magda for a long time. I actually have the pleasure and honor to, to work with Magda at Goo Energy Labs. And I'm just going to get this right out there immediately. I am <laughs> definitely a fanboy of Magda's. Uh, and for those of you who don't know who Magda Boulay is, you should. Uh, she went to the 2008 Beijing Olympics as a marathoner and has slowly made the transition from that distance into ultra running, which is one of the topics that we're going to be talking about today. But her current job title is head of R&D, research and development at Goo Energy Labs. Uh, and she does a lot of amazing things for us. She's won the Western States. She just did the UTMB and we'll talk more about that. And she's, she's an amazing mother. She balances being a mom, the head of R&D, and one of the top ultra runners in, in the world. And she's a freaking genius, too. I mean, so, <laughs> yeah, uh, she kind of makes me feel bad about myself, to be honest. <laughs> me, me too, definitely. She's we, a high, she sets a high bar for us, Fatty. Let's get on to that interview. Welcome, Magda. It's great to have you on the Pinnacle Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me a, a part of this. And Yuri, if I understand right, you don't call Magda Magda at all. You call her Chewy. Is that right? That is that is true. Not many people know this, uh, <laughs> but that was her nickname from college, and I find it very endearing. So I'm not sure if Magda actually likes it or not, but I call her Chewy. Um, much <laughs> like, you know, Rebecca Rush is Queenie, um, Magda is Chewy around the office. So, yeah. So you call her Chewy, you call Reba Queenie, you call me Fatty. What do you call yourself? (laughs) (laughs) What is your Uh, nickname? You know, I don't have a nickname for myself. Maybe you ask Magda. Maybe she has a nickname for me. I don't know. But uh, no, I don't have a nickname for myself. (laughs) Any nicknames for Yuri Magda? Uh, I'm going to have to think about it a little bit. (laughs) But he's, you know, he's the Yeti, so. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, oh! Yeah. I wasn't supposed supposed to say this. Well, that's not widely known. <laughs> I've often wondered why I never see them in the same place. How did we turn this conversation into something about Yuri so quickly? I think I know. I know. Yeah, let's How let's let's get this let's get this show going. We need to be let's... talking about Magda and what Magda does. Exactly. So, Magda, you are like incredibly interesting, and there are so many things in our pre-recording call that I was just flying all over the place saying, oh, we got to talk about this and we got to talk about this. But I think we maybe should just start at the beginning. Tell us where were you born, what you do now, and how you got between those two points. (laughs) All in one minute, right? Or under 30 seconds. 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Ready, set, go. Uh, Wow. Well, you're going to reveal how old I am by listening by listing uh, everything that uh, that has happened since I was born. <laughs> but I was born in uh, in Poland, and I immigrated to United States via Germany when I was um, when I was 15 years old, and mm-hmm. I spent about three years in Germany, and then moved to beautiful, sunny California, Long Beach, California. And that's where my family uh, lived, and I was lucky to, you know, to to land in uh, uh, in Southern California. 
so that's uh that was uh, a that very short, short story version. of how i uh how i got <laughs> to united states but uh you know i ended up going to uh to high school for for a year and very quickly realized that i had to complete four years of requirements in order to go to college and that i also had to pay for college which was a mm-hmm. scary part so i ended up going to uh, a city college and spent two years trying to figure out how to uh, how to get into a four-year university and running was my ticket to free education so i started to run now how how did you come about figuring out that running was your bag that this that that is what you wanted to do it really it it started with uh just friendships you know i met a friend uh, in high school who was a runner and she invited me to come out and join the cross country team and stubborn me you know i i was pretty stubborn i said no i'm a, i'm a swimmer i grew up swimming so my background uh ever since i can remember you know my my dad uh was a swimmer uh and a sailor and i you know i can remember when i was at small child being you know being uh, dumped in lakes and and seas and dragged behind a boat so i grew up in the water so running was uh not the most attractive uh sport to me but i also was new to united states and i was craving you know a social environment that was uh, a lot of fun and being on a cross country team sounded kind of good at that time so i showed up and remember you know like high top uh, shoes and so like in converses yeah awesome <laughs> and uh went on my first run and something just unique happened to me i just this level of competitiveness uh just went through my body that I've never experienced ever before. Wow. And I said, you know, wow, this is kind of interesting. I spent the last 10 years in a swimming pool and I never felt that before. Uh this is kind of cool and I I just want a little bit more of it. So I never looked back. You found suddenly a competitive fire when you when you started running that you'd never felt when you were swimming. That's amazing. Um, right. I I wonder I mean, what what made it different? What made running uh, the you know something that lit this fire under you. Do you think? You know, to this day, um, I've been trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think just sometimes it's just you just you know you you find your you find your passion, you find your journey, and um, the the thing that you were meant to do. <laughs> and for me, it just it took a lot longer than you know than uh, than maybe others. But I guess it's never too late. So, so Magda, this is all new to me. I had no idea that you didn't become a runner until until high school, which well, senior year in high school, yeah, yes. senior year in high school, which I yeah. find really amazing. So, then, what was your path to Cal Berkeley? Because you ended up at Cal, being a standout right. runner for them, right? Well, uh, like I said, um, you know, being a senior in high school and just starting to run, I was pretty green and clueless about running. But that's when I was told that if I if I stick with this, there is a chance that I could get a scholarship to, you know, to uh, to university. So I didn't have the marks, you know, of a standout high schooler in running. So I decided to take uh, the uh, the route to go through a community college and really give running, you know, a go. And uh, after two years, I was able to, um, you know, to to win. Um, 
basketball. I, I competed. I competed at the state championships in three events just to make myself uh, known, <laughs> since nobody actually knew that uh, that I was a decent runner. What were um, your distances? So I ran the fifteen hundred, the three thousand meters, and the five thousand meters all in one meet. And I said, you know, if I do that and I do really well, there will be a coach at a great university that will notice me. And, um, yeah, and I got, uh, I finished, I think I won the 1500. I came, uh, second in, uh, in the 3000 and I finished third. So I podium in all three. And I remember getting a phone call. <laughs> oh, you know, I just podium in all three, fatty. Just, you know, no biggie. Yeah, that happens to me all the yeah. time. Yeah. So, and and I'm guessing that a coach did in fact call after this. Right. It it sure worked. My plan worked. So, I got a visit from from the coach from uh from Tony Sandoval, who is still there at Cal. And I remember his words to me. He goes, "Kid, I don't know how good you're going to be, but you're pretty tough. So we're gonna give you a chance at Cal." Wow. And I end up going to to Cal Berkeley. That is an amazing, an amazing start. And it's not like your running just kind of ended after college either. You have, I mean, you've done some pretty amazing things. And the evolution of your running type, you know, how, what the distances you run and the type of running you do, that's kind of changed throughout the years as well, right? Definitely. I think I've evolved uh, uh, into what I'm currently doing. But, you know, um, college was was a great uh, introduction to running for me. This is why I really became a runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent three years at Cal, and um, it was until really my last competitive race at the NCAA uh, um uh, championships where I realized that, wow, you know, I, I, this is just the beginning for me. Uh, despite this being my last race, I think I'm, I finally figured out what running is and I would like to continue, uh, to see how good I could get. Uh, it's always a very sad moment when you, you know, when you put that, uh, college uniform on and you know, this is your last race, but it was, Bittersweet for me because I really truly believed that this was just the beginning for me. I looked at my coach and I said, "So, what do post-college athletes do uh, once they graduate?" What? Uh, I was going to say, you're not the first person to say, "What do I do after college?" But you're asking it in a slightly different way, right? You know, I'm not a football player here where you get drafted, you know, on a team or a basketball player, so. Um, kind of on your own, and back in, that was in 1997, we didn't have a lot of post-college professional running teams. We do a lot more these days, which is great, and we have a lot more support. So a natural path was to, you know, you um, you get a job, part-time job, maybe two, mm-hmm. and you pursue uh, being a pro-runner, Um so what kind of jobs are you talking about? Are, are you talking? Is it a prof- are you talking about professional jobs? Or are we talking about waiting tables? What? Right. I think that uh, it, it, it's it's something. It has to be something that is going to complement the type of uh, uh, training that you're going to be doing. And it took me a while to figure this out. Uh, you know, I started tutoring kids in math. I was. Uh, 
working at a, at a running store. Uh, and then eventually, you know, after two years of doing that, I, um, I've realized that, you know, that I wasn't going anywhere, that I plateaued, that uh, my running really wasn't improving, hmm. that, uh, you know, running on a running, um, I was trying to be a 5K runner. I was trying to compete on, uh, uh, which you run, you know, on the track and trying to wake up in the morning and do something really intense speed work on the track is not the most conductive to, uh, uh, you know, to, to running fast. Your body is not fully awake, something that you should be doing in the afternoon. Uh, so I had it all wrong. You know, I was, uh, running in the morning and then, uh, working later in the afternoon. And finally, after two years, I figured out that, well, I really enjoy running in the morning. Maybe I should just uh, put a lot of miles in and train for a marathon. It means, you know, it, it means I can, you know, put a lower intensity workouts in uh, during the day uh, or early in a day where uh, where I'm not putting so much, you know, stress on my body, um, not doing speed work, not doing uh, uh, track work uh, when your body is not prepared, and then I can go to work. Um, so, so have you done a marathon up to this point? Was no, okay, not yet. But but let me um, chime in here. Her first marathon that she did do, she happened to win. Oh, dude, you totally just gave away the story. Well, well, I mean, she might not say that. So, oh, 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 I, okay. all right, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let I'll let her I'll let her tell the story then. <laughs> all right. Well, well, before I got into marathons, you know, uh, something else happened. So I, you know, I was still working with my college coach. And I remember, you know, during that plateau phase, I looked at him. I said, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, you know, besides, um, you know, forcing a speed work in the morning and working two part-time jobs. I, I feel like something is missing and maybe my nutrition is off. Maybe I'm not optimizing my nutrition. And um, my coach goes, well, um, you know, there is that new company in, you know, in Berkeley and it's called Goo. And maybe we can go and talk to, you know, to, to the owner uh, at Goo, to the formulator and, uh, and learn, a, learn a, a thing or two about nutrition. I said, that sounds great. Let's do it. So in uh, 99, 1999, I walked into Goo and uh, met uh, uh, Dr. Vaughn. And I remember having my first uh, discussion about uh, sports performance nutrition and what I needed to do. Really? So that's how you got introduced to Goo? Yes. <laughs> I don't think it's any surprise that you are now the uh, is a VP of Innovation and Product Development. Did I get the title right? Yes, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's exactly what I do. I assume you did not start in that position. However. I did not start. I started as a <laughs> research you? assistant. Uh-huh. To Dr. Vaughn and I uh, put a, you know, few good years of uh, learning hands-on from, uh, you know, from the master. I um, really, you know, uh, I, I was, you know, two years out of college. I had a passion for exercise physiology. That's what I majored in. Um, and after meeting Dr. Vaughn, I was even more inspired and went back and got my master's degree in uh, sports nutrition and, and that ended up, um, you know, getting a part-time job at Goo and then turned into a full-time position. 
and uh, eventually, you know, my passion for product development uh, grew even stronger. So uh, I was able to combine, you know, what I learned in school with, uh, with what I was doing in the field to actually applying all of it uh, in my position uh, at GU very early on. And I want to talk more about what you do now, but I definitely want to start or I want to go back to working on your first marathon because right. in spite of Yuri having given away how you finish, I still think I, it's a pretty interesting I think, story. I think Yuri is wrong. I don't know. Am I? I, think, <laughs> I got your stats wrong? I, I you thought did. I, I, looked, but, I looked it up and maybe maybe I was wrong. Yeah, my actually my first... Uh, you know, first marathon was in 2000, so it was right after I started working at GU. And it was um, uh, a very typical, you know, textbook approach to nutrition um, without uh, doing a lot of uh, testing uh, uh, prior to it. But uh, I ended up choosing the Cleveland Marathon as my... Um, is my uh, first marathon. I don't know why, but uh, maybe because of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was there and I just wanted to go and visit. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I remember being really, really scared um, of, uh, of bunking because that's what everyone talks about. Sure. I was so scared that uh, I think I ran about two minutes slower in the first mile than, uh, than I was supposed to, which, uh, you know, when that happens and uh, and you hear, you know, the first mile spread, what do I naturally do? Try to make all of this up in the next mile, which was the dumbest uh, thing ever. But uh, <laughs> I remember, I think I, I think I podiumed. I think I, I can't even remember where I finished, but I remember qualifying for Olympic trials. Wow. I remember kicking really hard and trying to break 245 in a marathon so I could, so I could uh, uh, qualify for Olympic trials. And uh, at that time, I think that was uh, the standard you had to break 245. Wow. What's your best in a marathon, Yuri? Um, that is unknown, Fatty, because I rarely lace up running shoes. <laughs> See the potential. You have no idea what your potential is. Yeah. Maybe you'll qualify for the Olympics during your first marathon. I, I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> I was actually referring to, I, I, I did have my facts wrong. That she won the 2002 San Francisco Marathon. Yes. So, two years yes, later. Yes, yes. Yeah. Two years later. Uh, you know, yes. win or not, the fact that you qualified for Olympic trials in your first marathon is pretty remarkable. I don't think that is something that happens every day. You know, uh, that was definitely uh, an eye opener for me, you know, coming from 5Ks. I, 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 got to think about it. I went to college and I ran the mile and I ran the 5k. I never in college ran a 10k. So after running my first marathon and, you know, running a reasonable time, I quickly knew that this was my future. You know, this mm -hmm. is like, how did I not figure this out before? You know, so, so many years passed by before I realized where I really belonged. And it was in the longer distances. So that's sort of twice that that's that, yes. just, that you've told us about this, where you seem to have these uh, light bulb moments with your with whatever kind of effort you love or that you feel like you belong in. That you start it and you go, "Ding, that's what I want to do." And um, I don't know if it's really like that for 
for a lot of athletes, but I think that's really intriguing. Yeah, and I'm very fortunate for those uh, for those moments because uh, they put you on a you know on a different uh, pathway to, and it's a, it's always a fun journey. Magda, I'm curious about your coaching, you know, in that tra- those transitional years there, were you still working with your college coach? Had you started working with Jack Daniels at that point? Right. And how did that whole transition go for you? And did you approach Jack to, right. you know, elevate your running game? Right. So when, uh, when I made, made the decision to, you know, to commit myself to, uh, to the marathon, you know, I started to to look at you know different different opportunities. Different. There was a team on the uh, on the other side of the bay uh, at at Stanford. Um, so coming from Cal, I was uh, very resistant to you know to even uh, considering uh, going over to Stanford. Not just kidding. Uh, but uh, um, you know, I overheard that uh, the farm team. That's what they used to be called. That's what we used to be called. Eventually, I joined the team. Um, someone said, Hey, you know, there's a new coach, a distance coach, uh, that, um, focuses on, you know, on longer distances and uh, you should consider, you know, consider this opportunity. And I said, Jack Daniels. Wow. You know, if, uh, I know a Jack Daniels from most of my, uh, most of my schoolwork, uh, I used to cite a lot of the research papers, uh, by Jack Daniels on altitude training and, and I realized that that was the same person. And I said, wow, you know, as an exercise physiologist, I am really interested in meeting this person. So I got in a car and drove to Stanford. And, you know, I, on the way back, I was uh, committed to working with Jack Daniels. I fell in love with, uh, just, uh, just his style of, uh, of, uh, of training over the years. And, um, I can, you know, uh, I can say that, you know, he's not only a best friend after, you know, 15 years, but a mentor and life mentor more than a, a training mentor. It's been a, it's been an incredible uh, opportunity for me to to learn from such a wise man uh, over the years. And uh, yeah, that was the best decision I've ever made, you know, just getting in that car and going over to Stanford. <laughs> Very grateful for uh, for that day. Magda, can you can you share with us? I mean, if, if, assuming you remember, what was the biggest change or shift that he made to your training program at that time to to help you with this transition from the shorter distances to marathon? You know, I think that it really well, it, it's not something that uh, that happened overnight, but he installed just an incredible uh, love for the sport uh, in me. You know, and and. What I've learned from him is uh, just an approach to just longevity in a sport that you don't really, you know, have to push so hard that you break down, you know, after five years and you walk away from the sport that you can take, uh, you can take a longer approach that is a lifetime approach to, you know, to loving the sport and, uh, and staying, staying and sticking with it for, you know, for, um, well, for as long as, uh, for as long as you can, um, I think that was my biggest, you know, lesson. Uh, his uh, his training uh, philosophy is very thoughtful um, and long term approach to it. Um, I'm wondering if we could maybe talk a little bit about a chapter in your career that you know wasn't necessarily, definitely wasn't a highlight for you, but 
possibly began this transition from marathon to ultra and you probably know what event I'm I'm heading towards is the the 2008 um yeah. Olympics and you had qualified and were representing the United States at the Olympics mm-hmm. and I'm wondering um and I and I apologize for bringing this up if it's a sore subject <laughs> uh, but if you if no, you No, not at all. Because I think I I'm just guessing that this maybe was the beginnings of you possibly morphing into the next phase of your career as an ultra runner. But if you could share with us what happened at two at the 2008 Olympics, um, yeah. and if it did have any um, bearing on the direction that you have now gone as a runner and an athlete, right? Uh, never a sore subject. I think those are all lessons uh, and very valuable lessons. But I'll give you a little bit, maybe just a little bit more background before that. So in 2004, I you know uh, after I qualified for the Olympic trials and uh, ended up racing and. And finished fifth. Um, top three go to Olympics. And it was a very heartbreaking um, experience. I think that, you know, from to most people, you know, after three years of marathoning or training for a marathon, it would have been certainly a very respectable performance. But to me, it just felt like a huge failure. Um, so that was 2004. And, you know, I was a young marathoner. Um, in terms of like how many years I spent uh, training for it, had a great coach, and I just walked away, you know, with my head uh, down and uh, decided to get pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) That that was going to solve everything. (laughs) It usually does. (laughs) It usually, right? (laughs) So in 2005, uh, my son was born, and... You know, physically and emotionally, I felt like my training took a backseat. Um, you know, I've had some time off in the past uh, from training, but usually it was due to an injury or um, or other setbacks health-wise. But coming back from giving birth was a, a completely new kind of uh, rehab that I had to uh, that I had to go through and. Um, it, it took a while to really feel like a runner again. Now, I'm sure that that's, I mean, this is probably something that a lot of our listeners can relate to perhaps more than just about anything else you've said so far. So maybe spend a, spend a moment telling us, you know, how did you get back to where you could run competitively again? I think that that right. is worth talking about. Well, you know, I, I noticed a difference, you know, it took a while to really recognize the difference in my approach to training, but, you know, uh, I always say, you know, um, the years of training prior to my son, um, I remember, you know, specific workouts um, when they didn't go well, I would simply just freak out. Um, You know, I was really obsessed with everything going perfect. I, you know, every interval that didn't go well would upset me or... uh, uh, I would question my ability, you know, to, you know, uh, to be ready uh, on the race day. All of that stuff changed when my son was born. I just had a very different approach to training in life. I, um, I, I was learning from, uh, you know, from, uh, uh, from, uh, just from, from the process. And what I really, uh, what I learned was that, you know, I. I had to be flexible and, and I had to make time. Yeah. Um, 
and it was uh, really, you know, it, it was a really a new chapter in my training, and I had to just approach it from a from a different perspective. And um, not that it wasn't a priority anymore, but I just I, I needed to, you know, to be okay with a lot of changes. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, you know, if I basically, you know, just watching my son grow and uh, uh, and become a human being, I just bed workouts didn't really matter. Right. Uh, it, it's just it was such a low priority. Uh, it was still important to me, but you know, I knew that there was tomorrow and that I could do it better tomorrow if it didn't go. If I didn't get it done, I can do it tomorrow. It was okay. Uh, life was going to go on. Yeah. Uh, it, so you had new perspective, really. Very new perspective, yes. Which I not only transferred that to my training, but less pressure on 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 perfection. I didn't allow perfection to get in the way of process. Fantastic lesson for anyone, whether uh, you know whether they are a new parent or not, to be sure. Right. Um, I don't want to <laughs> make a giant leap over intervening years, but. One of the main reasons we wanted to talk with you today or, you know, this week, as opposed to any of the many times it'd be great to talk with you is about the race that you just did, which is, which sort of reflects that you've been really evolving your running since then, because now you're doing ultras, right? Right. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, so again, uh, in 2008, you know, I, I made, uh, I show, showed up to Olympic trials and I had one of the best races of my life. Mm-hmm. I, um, led the race itself for about 22 miles with wow. you know, the field being at least like a minute or two behind me. Uh, I ended up, uh, finishing second and qualifying for the Olympics. It was definitely a, you know, a, a life changing result for me. Uh, yeah. you know, all, that was in 10 years after so 2008, I started working with my coach in 2000. So, um, you know, eight, 10 years of, of work and here it is, it paid off. And I, and it's, you know, it's a couple of years after my son was born and I'm on the plane to Beijing to compete in the Olympics. It, life was great. And then I got hit pretty hard with an extremely low moment in my life, which was dropping out of the Olympic marathon. Um, and it's incredible how, you know, how, how quickly your life uh, and the perspective changes, right? With, with just such mixed results. I uh, ended up getting hurt in the Olympic Village prior to the race. I whacked my knee on this uh, iron um, metal uh, stud and lost um, range of motion and started the marathon, but I was wow. pretty useless. Came home and uh, from Beijing and just, um, you know, um, kind of questioned whether, you know, whether I should uh, do this or I should move on and... Uh, find something else took some time to reflect and uh believe it or not all of my personal bests in 5k and 10k and half marathon came after that 2010 and 2011 were the best years of my life Hmm. um i uh ended up doing another olympic trials in 2012 and that is when uh, i guess my 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 search for another challenge started to to surface a little bit and uh, I needed to find something, you know, something, um, something 
different to challenge myself. And, and that's where ultra running uh, comes in in my life. <laughs> <laughs> now, were you, were you looking for something different? And was it another one of those light bulb moments for you? And I, I'm curious, if so, yeah. how? I was, I was, I was looking for, you know, now this is my third Olympic trials, um, in the marathon. And I think that, uh, you know, I've had a share of just ups and downs with injuries with, I, you know, obviously grateful for, you know, for, for all the success that I had up to that point, but I was craving something different and I was also turning 40. So here we are, you know, you, you, you know, it's, this was my, this was my race car, <laughs> <laughs> ultra running was uh was uh, was was going to be you know something something different and i remember making um making uh, a commitment to to racing uh a masters one mile road race it was a it was a championship race a u.s championship race and then three months la- later doing a 50 miler i'm like okay that's kind of crazy enough for for you know for <laughs> and different enough for me to you know to actually yuri that was your fault you gave me what you gave me an entry you said hey <laughs> we're sponsoring this race there is a free entry to a 50 miler do you want do it, it? chewy like, do it yeah well you uh, should thank me Yes, I, I should thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, so yes, that was uh, that was a great goal to you know to go after. I'm a very goal oriented person, and um, and um, doing a mile and a and a fifty miler within you know within three months was crazy enough to you know to commit myself to, and very attractive. That was the North Face Challenge, correct? Yes, that was the North Face Challenge, yes. Which, which you stood on the top step, if I remember correctly, right? The following year. The I following year. I finished second okay. in my Sixth. first right. uh, yeah. ultra. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, I have this thing that, you know, the tougher, the tougher it is, the more fun it is. <laughs> That's why we like each other so much, Magda. I'm kind of right. the same way. The longer, the harder, the better we seem to do. Right, yeah. right. I think that's worth digging into a little bit. What do you think is the common thing that fires the two of you? I was going to say stubbornness, maybe a little <laughs> bit, right? Sure, <laughs> sure. I, I yeah. don't know if Magda would agree with that. De- definitely, uh, definitely part of the equation is stubbornness. I think a lot of it has to do with just craving, um, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's that grit, you know, that I, I, I thrive on, on not just putting out a good effort, not just doing my best, but like refusing to give up, you know? Um, and then, you know, the more obstacles you have, uh, the more satisfying it is at the, at the end of completing something that, you know, could be a hundred mile race or a 24 hour, uh, event, endurance event. It's definitely that, um, that refusal to, you know, to, to give in, to give up. So satisfaction in overcoming a big obstacle is sort of where yeah. it sounds like. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, learning how to embrace, you know, the failures that happen along the way, because they always do, right? Um, whether it's in preparation, sometimes it's, uh, you know, sometimes it happens in, uh, in races, um, not, achieving your goals, but really embracing it and learning from it and putting your head, you know, uh, putting your head down and going after it again and again is definitely very satisfying. And so there's a a real obvious pattern in your life so far in your athletic endeavors. You have a light bulb moment and suddenly you're, you're a very committed competitive runner. And then you're doing 
you know, you have a light bulb moment and you're a marathoner. You have a light bulb moment and you are a, you're an ultra runner. Right. So, um, yeah, I still feel like I'm a very young ultra, uh, ultra marathoner. You are. Uh, it's, Remember it's, how it's, long you are. You been, how long have right. you been doing ultras? So it's, 2013 was my first, um, so that was December, right? And then 2014, yep. I kind of, you know, tested different races and finally qualified for for the Western States, which was in 2015. Because <laughs> you have to qualify usually a year prior prior to the event or very... For me, it was uh, January 2015 when I, um, when I qualified for that race. So that was my first, uh, you know, that was my, that was a year ago. That was my first 100 miler. And Magda, in, in case people don't know what Western States is, could you just, you know, thumbnail sketch of what Western States is for folks who might not be familiar with that ultra? Right. It's uh, I mean, it's a great, it's a, it's the most prestigious race in the United States, uh, 100 miles. And it goes from Squaw Valley, uh, over a few canyons up a hill and mostly downhill to Auburn. <laughs> <laughs> over, come on, give us the elevation. Come on, don't just be over a couple it's, hills and then downhill. I, come on. <laughs> right. I think it's like 20, 20,000, you know, uh, something like that. 20,000 feet of um, a vertical of, uh, gain. Vertical right? uh, gain loss. Yeah. There is more loss than gain, so it might be like 19 gain, 20, 21 loss. Uh, don't quote me on it, but it's very close to that. Um, <clears throat> but yes, it's you know, it's the, the race is um, uh, it's the oldest race ultra, and it's it's where you know you show up and you compete against the best. Uh, the best in in the country uh, or in the world. So, um, I you know I as a Bay Area resident and as a GU employee, I've been watching this race uh, for years and witnessed uh, um, one of the legends uh, who has won this race sixteen times uh, when I was you know when I was uh, very young. GU uh, research assistant. Uh, she used to come you know to to GU and consult and. Um, and get her product, and that's in Tracen, who has again won that race about sixteen times. It's it, it's an, an unbelievable achievement, and you know, for me to you know to to have the opportunity to qualify for that race and uh, and do it was just a huge privilege because again, you know, I witnessed it for for so for so many years. And how long did how long did it take you to do that race the first time? Um, 19 hours so that was yeah 19 hours of uh, moving forward was uh that was my first uh first 100 miler and uh until i you know just completed my second one a uh, couple couple weeks ago less than two weeks ago she left out that she won it in case we hadn't already cleared that up here fatty that she won <laughs> the western states in 1905-21 i have that written down here oh. so yeah, you know, honestly, I was just taking it as given that she won. Yeah, but let's make sure our listeners know that she <laughs> won her first hundred mile race here, the most prestigious in the United States. So that there's no of, ambiguity. Yeah. Of course, you did, Magda. Well, yeah, <laughs> that is so amazing. So let's let's do talk about the the your second ultra run. Um, tell us tell us what that is, 
and you'll notice that I am, I am very carefully letting you pronounce it the first time because I know that I would get it very badly wrong. Oh, well, UTMB, it's really easy to pronounce, but it, it is the <laughs> ultra trail of Mount Blanc. Oh, well, that's yes, exactly how I would have said exactly it. That is exactly how you would say Yeah, it's I, really... I it's, thought the ultra trail part would be pronounced much more... French. Uh, French. 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 Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> I wish. Ultra um, <clears throat> trail. Um, um, yeah, I, French is definitely not my strength, but... Uh, this yeah, this this race is incredible. It's very different from Western states. Uh, it it has over thirty thousand feet of uh, um, <laughs> of vertical. Thirty one thousand so, four ninety six to be exact. Yeah, Ten thousand meters. It's a little yeah. bit over hundred miles. It's actually hundred seventy k. So like about one hundred five. It, it it is a beast. It is the largest in the world and the most competitive race. Uh, and just the most scenic, uh, I mean, the, the, the Alps are just stunning. Um, and just having the opportunity to, you know, to, to, to run around this mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's, it, it was, it's definitely bigger than me. <laughs> you know, when I think <laughs> about it, it's, it's overwhelming. It's scary. Um, but there is, you know, all of those things is what attract us to, you know, to, to conquer it. <laughs> Frankly, it's overwhelming. I mean, it doesn't even fit in my imagination. What drove you to choose this as your next big challenge? Being outside of my comfort zone. I, I mm. have to do things that are bigger than me that I'm not comfortable with. Western States is definitely my type of a course. I, you know, it's, it's very runnable. It's, it's basically my, you know, my backyard. This is not, this is definitely. <clears throat> Um, and I don't have it figured out uh, yet. Um, I, I, this is a this is definitely not a one time type of a challenge. It's something that I will have to work towards for a little bit longer to 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 wrap my head around it and you know how to train, how to approach it, and how to conquer it. But yeah. it's uh, it's so attractive because I don't have it figured out. <laughs> well, let's let's spend a, a minute talking about the race and the logistics itself, because it isn't like most of the even ultra runs in that you're required to be carrying quite a bit in addition to doing the distance itself. What did you have to have with you for this race? What didn't I have to have with me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, enough to survive if things go really wrong. Mm -hmm. So you not only have to have your waterproof pants and a jacket and a windbreaker, uh, a long sleeve shirt, you have to have uh, two headlamps, you have to have, you know, um, a whistle, you have to have an emergency blanket, all the food to get you through. Uh, so you see your crew, uh, in five places throughout, mm-hmm. you know, over a hundred miles, which is not a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there is a section where it took me about eight hours before I was able to see my crew at night. So I have to have all that stuff on me for, you know, for eight hours, for 10 hours. And then the further along we got, I was able to see my crew more frequently, like every, you know, three to four hours. Hmm. But all of that stuff, uh, you have to have, you have to carry that stuff on you uh, while you're climbing. And, um, you know, coming from a road background, 
I like to travel light. <laughs> sure, sure. So how much did all this weigh about? Uh, you know, I was so intimidated by, by, by the finished product when I packed it all in that mm-hmm. I didn't even want to put it on the scale. Really? So you never weighed but it? Never weighed it, but, you know, I just... Um, Give me a guess. Uh, probably around three pounds. Oh, okay. Yeah, three to four pounds. Probably so you really, get. I mean, you really were able to get a lot into a reasonably small yes. amount of space. Okay. Yes. I, I was imagining a 40-pound pack. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> no, you're, you're, you actually, you can still, you can still run with it, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's definitely not preferred. And um, honestly, you know, the, the last climb I did, um, which was in a dark uh, so the last maybe, you know, um, I don't the last two, three hours of the race, uh, the weather changed, thunderstorms, uh, we had lightning every couple of minutes, and that's when you actually learn to appreciate that, uh, you know, you do need that stuff. You're in a serious, you know, environment, you're in the mountains, and you just never know what's going to happen. Magda, speaking of running in the dark, did you do any preparation for that here stateside, like night runs or anything like that? And and how many hours were you running in the dark at UTMB? So UTMB starts at 6 p.m. Uh, so you start in the evening, and you pretty much go through the through the night. Oh my God. Uh, if you run fast enough, you will finish before the next night. Most people, you know, there's a 46, uh, I think a 46 hour cutoff. So people go through two nights in that race. Um, <clears throat> to answer your question about, uh, about, uh, running at night, definitely, uh, definitely not, uh, didn't do enough of that. Uh, I don't really, um, I didn't know that, but I didn't really have an issue with, you know, falling asleep uh, while I was running. I was, that was never an issue for me. Uh, what's uh, What's more important is being comfortable running at night on technical terrain. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and that is definitely my weakness. How so? I mean, what kind of challenges were you having running at night? You know, I, I just, uh, I overthink. Uh, I think... I don't take maybe as much risk as my competitors. And that's a bad thing, you think? Uh, well, I'm not sure if it's a bad thing, but it yeah. definitely, you know, it, it shows when I when I uh, when I race that you know I make up a lot of ground climbing, and then I lose a lot of ground on a on a technical downhill. So <clears throat> again, this is where experience comes in. This is where you know I know that. It's, it's, it's an area that I have a lot of room to improve in. And, um, you know, when I say taking more risk, you know, I'm just really cautious. You know, I'm not saying, you know, people take risk of, you know, of, uh, of they're not, they're not dying. Well, uh, you could if you take, uh, depending when you, when you run, but, um, <clears throat> Just just being a little bit more aggressive on, on the downhills uh, is something that I know I have still room uh, to improve. Um, and that gets a little bit more challenging at night, you know, when you're wearing <laughs> two headlamps and <laughs> and you have a lot of people around you. And, you know, there was a section at UTMB where it's just, it's actually the highest, one of the first or second big climbs where uh, it's just a pile of rocks. Uh, that you climb for an hour or two, and then you descend at night on you know loose rock. Um, 
it's it's you know it's just different style of running that we don't I don't really have access to where I live. Um, we don't have mountains like this in mm-hmm. California. And I really have to get out of my way to, you know, to practice that. So for me, the first step was, okay, just run at night on something that doesn't move. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, you can, you can just, you know, walk away in one piece. That was the first step. So I did a little bit of that. The next step is going to be in the future, do technical running at night, but I'm not there yet. What I'm kind of picking up from this is that you are already planning your next edition of this race. It's interesting that you say that. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us, Magda, what do you got in store for 2017? This is, you know, this is, um, it's interesting how that happens because I remember crossing the finish line. And I remember looking at my husband and I, the first thing I said, I said, I am never doing this again. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I wake up in the morning. I'm like, well, this is what I can do better. Yep. And he's like, I'm sorry. Were we in the same space last night? Uh, Did you, you forget know, but, what you but, said? <laughs> but is, is there any endurance athlete in the world who does not say I'm never doing that again? And then immediately, you know, as soon as as soon as the pain starts to ebb a little bit, right. starts uh, doing exactly what you're describing, right. you know, fit, planning it out. I mean, I, I'm nowhere near the caliber you are. I mean, I'm not even on the same planet caliber wise as what you are. But every time I do a race, um, as soon as I've had a good night's sleep, I am thinking about the you know, about the space for improvement, you know, I'm right. looking at the white space in my, in my performance. I, I think that's called endurance junkie amnesia. And we all suffer <laughs> from that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and it's a good thing too, or there would only be one edition of every race. Right? Uh, it, it's, it's very true. So what are you going to do in, in your next running of this race, Magda? I would, I would like to run faster. <laughs> I would like to <laughs> run faster on that course. You know, you learn, you learn uh, your limitations. You you learn um, where you have room for improvement, and you know, you you analyze all of it, and you say, you know, yeah, I I I know I can do better, mm-hmm. uh, and this is what I need to do in the future. And that's kind of the fun part because <clears throat> there's always something to work on, uh, and that's kind of the beautiful thing about endurance about endurance uh, sports that it really it's it, it is about the workload and how much you know consistency and how much work we put in and that's how we get better it's not necessarily you know the talent and uh it, all of that stuff is you know um important but you, you really it's it's about the commitment and, and the consistency that you put in your in your training were you running with people or were you mostly running on your yeah, own yeah you know and this is another great, the beautiful, beautiful part about endurance uh, racing that you kind of just, you make friendships in, in races. <laughs> you know, you, you never see these people before. You, I know you show up uh, to a starting line and something like UTMB, you have, you know, close to, you know, 3,000 people um, at a starting line. It's extremely crowded in like a sardine. And then along the way, you... <laughs> You realize that you and this stranger are, you know, running similar paces. You get to mm-hmm. know each other. And, you know, by mile 50, you guys are a team and you're working together. And that's exactly what happened to me. I awesome. met this, you know, met this um, 
uh, amazing uh, runner from Italy, and him and I uh, really complemented each other on the strength and, uh, and, and weaknesses. And I was a much stronger uphill runner, and he was uh, a lot uh, more aggressive on the downhills. And we uh, we worked together very closely, uh, you know, without uh, um, without really discussing. Uh, uh, you know, a plan that we're going to help each other. It was just, it was just one of those evolving relationships that was just so fun to, you know, to think about after the race, how, uh, how lucky, uh, I was to, to experience that. Uh, we, you know, you, you kind of, uh, you know, you, you learn pretty quickly what this other person is struggling with without even, yeah. without even, you know, talking to them and they see your fear of, uh, going downhill and, uh, it, it was a f- it was it was amazing and and it's a good reminder why you know I sign up for these events um, mm-hmm. because of you know gaining gaining such a such amazing uh, experience from you know from uh, from participating in in, in a crazy <laughs> crazy race like that but yes I spent uh, most you know most of my race running with my Italian friend <laughs> and we became um, good friends and I remember. Um, I remember running very scared at the end of the race when, you know, you're on top of the mountain that is really exposed and there's lightning happening every two minutes mm. and you're holding on to metal poles because, uh, <laughs> because, you know, rods, you just want to yeah. be the target. Like, please, please hit me. Um, and I just, you know, I just, I was very grateful for, uh, um, for my, uh, for my uh, running partner to, you know, keep encouraging me to get to, to the, you know, to the finish line. He's like, there's no room for being scared here. You got to hammer those uh, rocks all, all the way down. And so was his English pretty good? Was your Italian pretty good? How did you, how did you communicate? <laughs> his English was much better than my Italian. Let's put it okay. this way. <laughs> but you know, there's uh, so many different ways you can say faster, faster, faster. And he kept just like, you, it, it, it's interesting how quickly I forgot that I was afraid of running downhills in the dark um, on, you know, wet rocks. You know, it just didn't matter. I was, you know, I was more concerned with getting, you know, under a tree line, making sure that uh, they w- walked away uh, from this race in one piece. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's a great example of just, you know, you you, you're, you might think that, uh, that ultras – are very you know lonely sport but you meet amazing people along the way in the race itself yeah. not just you know not just being a part of the sport and community and the tribe but in the race itself you can make you know you can make friends that sometimes are going the opposite direction you know if a course is out and back it's you get a lot from uh from the crowds and i think that that's true regardless of sport and re- regardless of level, I I have numerous times. Uh, you know, you find you are in the middle of a race. You've been going for a while, and here you are. You know, t- you know a person you've never met before, but somehow, I mean, you both made the decision to do this race, and you're both at the same place at the same time. You must have something in common, right? Right. <laughs> there is something to talk about, no question. So, yes. yeah, that really is one of the great things of these of these big races is 
the people who are around you uh, have a story to tell that's going to resonate with you. And it's awesome to be able to take a moment and, and, you know, assuming that you are not currently cross-eyed and, uh, you know, just trying to stay on your feet or your wheels or whatever you're on uh, to, you know, to hear and say hi and, and find out, you know, what their story is. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about your day job. That's funny. I, I was just going to say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost as if you and I have things in common. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah. T- tell us what it means to be the VP of Innovation and Product Development at Goo Energy Labs. Well, it means that I have to uh, find uh, places to really test products that I would like to make at Goo. So uh, all of the reasons I do, they're my, they're my field testing ground, right? I feel mm. very fortunate that uh, uh, to be in a role that, you know, I can really apply um, what I work on every single day and I can use that product, test that product, you know, uh, before I show up to work or on weekends or races and uh, truly, you know, prove it that, uh, you know, that it, that it works. Um, but what I do is, you know, finding, finding, finding solutions to the challenges that athletes go through every single day. Um, and, and, and that is, you know, solving, uh, solving, uh, solving uh, their issues, uh, you know, on how to fuel uh, their bodies uh, during uh, during uh, uh, the endeavors that they put themselves through, and that is a fun job. That is a really a privileged uh, position to be in, and I get to work with a lot of great athletes that do some remarkable events. And um, you know, science applying science to that um, is uh, is really important. You know, finding targeting different. Uh, uh, sports nutrition solutions, uh, for, you know, for, for recovery, uh, for optimizing performance, uh, for rebuilding muscle, for pre- preserving muscle from, uh, from the damage that, uh, you know, that can occur when you, when you're pounding, uh, you know, o- over a hundred miles, uh, with, uh, 30,000 feet of, uh, of vertical. Um, there is the climbing, there is the descending and, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot to solve, uh, throughout the day. So, um, that's what I do. Uh, I have a great team that I work with, uh, in, uh, in product development and we, uh, come up with, uh, ideas. We optimize products, uh, that we currently have on, on the market and then we go and test them. So, <clears throat> uh, UTMB is, you know, a Western States is a perfect example in 2015 where, um, both, uh, Rob Carr, which uh, you already had on your show, and mm-hmm. I were racing um, uh, Western States, and both of us were looking for, you know, for uh, for a product that could provide uh, hydration and energy on uh, one product, and that wasn't uh, a fruity flavor, and our rocking drink uh, in a in a black tea flavor was uh was a concept that we applied and to to that race that we tested uh and now the product is on the market and it came out of uh out of a need it came out of you know something that an athlete was uh um trying trying to solve uh, a challenge uh that they had and um 
you know, it's, it's a, it's so much fun for someone who is, uh, who is an R and D to see it, that process to go from a concept, applying it, testing it to actually going, you know, to, uh, to market uh, a year later. So it's, um, it's a dream come true. Do you think that it would be possible to do your job if you weren't an athlete of the type that you are? I, I think he can do it. I think it's just so authentic, uh, to, to, to approach it from, you know, from my, you know, from, uh, from my perspective. Yeah. That's kind of what I, what I was getting at is it seems that, yeah, sure. It, it would be, you could have someone who could, you know, talk to other athletes and who was not a real, um, you know, an athlete of one form or another themselves, but, it seems that you are bringing a a level of experience to it that you are you are your own guinea pig and have a sort of a, a level of experience with all of your products and know what does work and what doesn't work in a really first hand way. I like to think so. I you know I I like to think that you know I really I, I live it. Yeah. Um, you know on on, on a daily basis. You know I'm I'm. The first, uh, you know, first person to critique what's not working, uh, you know, and, um, you know, what we do, what we do, uh, in, in product development and innovation, it, you know, it, it, it has to work first, uh, uh, in our little field testing, uh, world, uh, before we take it out any further. And it's really an honor to, you know, to be that first guinea pig. <laughs> Can you tell me about something that you developed that didn't work? Oh, probably uh, there, there's probably um, a list of uh, of things that <laughs> that didn't work. Um, we, you know, one of one of the many requests that we receive, and I myself, you know, crave it is is savory. Savory is a huge desire for athletes to, you know, to, to have, uh, during endurance, endurance events when you're out there for so many hours, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, when you think of our gels, uh, you know, we're providing, um, carbohydrates, which, you know, which can be sweet and they're in a concentrated form, mm -hmm. uh, despite us using carbs that are probably, uh, less sweet than, than uh, what you know from the options that are available, uh, maltodextrin is one of uh, uh, the less sweet uh, options that you can have, and it's still very difficult to create a a gel that uh, um, that is savory. <clears throat> Although uh, knowing me, uh, you know I'm committed, and I won't give up till I find a good solution uh, but we've had some really we've had some really bad uh, uh, prototypes benched up samples that didn't really work I remember the first one was you know people really wanted maple bacon and when we started um, when we started it was uh, it was less than tolerable uh, it took us a year to, to really nail down that flavor but um, um Popcorn was another one that I had an athlete that really wanted popcorn. And when we were field testing it, the feedback that I got, it was that it was just like stick of butter. It was so gross. People were just <laughs> turning their heads. There were a few other ones <laughs> that failed. And 
um, but you know that is actually the fun part because you know you, you really you have to fail in order to get the best solution you know and you have to sometimes mm. fail many times before you actually reach something that is excellent so what's one that was surprising to you that did succeed something or 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 not surprising what what would you say is your um your biggest success what's the product you're most proud of and why you know i um <clears throat> i have to say that currently and i'm going to be very biased is because i have a very uh you know emotional attachment to to this product is our summit tea which is a black tea rocking drink and it's because i just can't get enough of it when i race and i get most of my calories and it really uh, it's not sweet. It's it's tr like drinking, you know, iced tea. Um, and time over time in 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 my races uh, for the past year, I've had such um, uh, such pleasant, you know, experience with uh, with fulfilling my you know my energy, um, mm -hmm. you know, throughout the night, throughout the day. Just I, I can't go wrong. So far, you know, so far it's been. It's it's been a very good uh, uh, good product to me <laughs> in most of my races, and yeah, it is. It's definitely uh, my go-to. I rely on it, uh, and I yeah, I can't even imagine uh, switching up my routine. I feel like um, different races might require you know different planning and approach because every race is different. But this product is my staple. It has mm. a place in every single race. Do people, uh, it, it, when you describe that, I'm thinking, wow. So, I mean, you're emotionally invested in that flavor. I would bet that there are some pretty passionate discussions, arguments <laughs> about, about, Absolutely. about what should stay or what should go. I mean, I, oh. I, you know, I personally, uh, when you guys came out with Root Beer Goo, you know, I, I was very public about this is absolutely the best flavor that goo has ever come up with and you know, now i hear recently that it's like well it never was a big seller and i'm like how could that not be the best <laughs> you know, seller ever in the history of goo and, so and I, I you know i completely uh respect everyone's flavor preferences because sure. you know after so many years uh of you know of uh and as you know just in gels, we have over 25 flavors. Mm -hmm. And there are some flavors that, you know, I will be at an event and I'll give you an example of, uh, you know, of, uh, just a month ago, we were at Trans Rockies and we had, we had, uh, a poster of a Yeti and people were coming <laughs> up and filling out their preferences for new flavors. And two people at the same time came up to me and one person says, I love maple bacon. And the other person goes, wow. You know, just without hearing the comment a second ago came up, say, wow, that maple bacon is the most nasty thing I've ever tried. <laughs> and this all happened with, you know, within like, you know, 10, 15 seconds. And it happens all the time. I think with root beer, this was a flavor we made for, you know, for Max King, one of our athletes. And Max King uh, called me up after, after Halloween. And he goes, you know, I've had some Halloween candy, um, root beer candy, and ever since, ever since that day, I just cannot stop thinking about about root beer on my run. I would love to have root beer goo. Um, 
and just diehard, you know, flavor for him. Mm-hmm. And there is a, there is a portion of people, I mean, small amount of people that feel very strong about that flavor and love it, but it's not majority. <laughs> well, count me as one of the guys who's with Matt King. I'm like, yeah, right. these taste exactly like those little uh, Hires root beer barrel. Right. You guys, hang on one second. The serendipity of this and me being the social media guy for Goose, one of our athletes, Sonia Looney, and I'm not kidding, just posted a picture of her holding a root beer gel packet saying still a fave goo energy labs flavor i couldn't make this up she just posted it five minutes ago there you go yes another reason i like sonya there you go (laughs) so but someone eventually has to make the decisions thumbs up thumbs down on a flavor is that you or do you put it to a vote how do you how do you make these decisions we we there is definitely a larger committee that is a part of uh a part of that decision, and what you know, what what I like to see is uh, to have uh, flavors that come and go, um, mm-hmm. and you know, eventually maybe root beer is going to become the retro flavor that we bring back, uh, and and then people can stuck up. I mean, hey, the voiceover, <laughs> oh, the voiceover <laughs> athletes is very very important. I mean. We made mint chocolate. We discontinued yeah, it. Back. We heard it for two years, and guess what? We made it back. It's, it's. Uh, so we do listen to you know to to our athletes. So make sure that when it when when root beer gets discontinued, they use start hitting me on social media. That's where we see it. Everybody okay. complains on Facebook and social. And we Twitter. have to hear it from from you uh, in order to you know to to make it happen, but. Oh, I've got quite a megaphone. <laughs> Believe me, you're going to hear hear about it. Um, so here's a question. And I mean, we, we've kind of – I wanted mostly to talk about products that you're developing right. as opposed to flavors. But I, you know, we're on flavors and flavors is interesting for me to grasp. And so we're kind of – we're going to stick in this corner for a second. But it seems like flavors are always um, – a, our flavors are always similar to a flavor that already exists. Have you ever tried to develop a flavor that is unique and not based on a flavor of some other food that already exists? Mm. Snozberry, for example. Snozberry. You know, yeah, mm. you know, something from Willy Wonka's. It's where it's like, you know, we're not trying to make this taste like something. We just had this, we just made up this new flavor. Right, it's like, like nothing in the world. Bubble gum or sugar no, bub- cookie. Bubble, bubble <laughs> gum, gum and sugar is a- cookie, they already exist. I'm saying something, you know, a flavor that does not exist. Okay. Oh, like something a brand new up. flavor. Yeah. Yep, a brand hmm. new, never been tried flavor. That sounds to me like a marketing approach to flavors. <laughs> <laughs> From a scientist's perspective, hmm. Um, you know, there are... It's okay to say no. (laughs) So, I I think that uh, my approach would be, we're just going to dump a bunch of flavors together and see what comes up. (laughs) You know, it's like that that everything bagel, yeah, that we can do, like, and everything goo, just, Uh just, we'll mix them and then we'll let marketing come up with a name. Oh, I got your name. We could just call it the kitchen sink. The kitchen sink. Yeah, there you go. Yep. (laughs) 
<laughs> so sure no, I haven't. You know, uh, um, to answer your question, a lot of joy that uh, we take in R and D is you know to uh, to do research. So for example, when we were making our caramel macchiato flavor. Mm-hmm. It took weeks of tasting uh, with, you know, the best caramel macchiatos in the area. And we wouldn't settle. Like a pretty good (laughs) We had to, you know, we had to get it right. So (laughs) I I, I like to have an actual, you know, actual food as an inspiration. How about when you are developing new, entirely new products? Do you start, what, where do you start from? Uh, a do you is it you're on a run and you're or you're hearing from your athletes who say I have a problem or is it does it come from we have some you know we have this new thing or a new idea and we're going to try to apply it to a problem how how do new products uh, get created at Goo? That's an excellent question. It's it's multi. Dimensional, I would say. It's a multi-approach. Uh, R&D or product development uh, is just one piece of it. So you mentioned athletes. Uh, we uh, we frequ- frequently asked um, our athletes to you know to uh, to share with us their challenges. Uh, not necessarily like, hey, what product do you want, but what challenges do you have? Uh, so we can, you know, we can uh, look for for solutions. But we also we look at uh, uh, science evolves science uh, and and the, the the ingredients that are efficacious uh, for for the intended use uh, in sports nutrition. Uh, there are new ingredients that um, <clears throat> that. Um, uh, that surface and we start with that we start with ingredients where can we what you know what vehicle can we find for delivery of that ingredient where does it belong is it during is it after uh, we also listen to to our retailers so you know a lot of the retailers in bike and run they 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 deal with customers on a daily basis and they hear you know from them what works what doesn't sometimes what they're looking for um, so it's, it's, you know, from R and D, from the science that, uh, 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 that is out there from, uh, or athletes from retailers and just, uh, trends, you know, what, uh, you know, it, it, there are a lot, a lot of the inspiration can come from, uh, you know, just walking into a grocery store, uh, and seeing, wow, this is a great delivery system of the ingredients that we Believe will help our athletes, and uh, and then it turns into you know a, a product perhaps. So Yuri, what's the worst thing Magda's ever made you try? Oh well, you know, I mean, in all honesty, I've I don't think I've ever tried anything bad from Magda, and, oh. and, I, and I oh I say that with all sincerity, truly. I mean, I'm as an athlete always excited when she comes by with some unmarked <laughs> Ziploc bag or something <laughs> like that, and says try this on your next workout, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's been really fun for me as a decade long goo athlete to be part of the, um, athlete testing product pool, um, you know, giving some feedback and things like that. Like earlier when we were talking about, you know, failure products, um, Magda, I don't know if you were part of, um, those little like energy, I call them the energy orbs. They were like, yes, yes, yes. I was not. Yeah. <laughs> you were not, but, um, 
Yeah, there were these little, like, it was like our first foray, I think, into a solid that may, I may be dating myself. That was maybe like eight ish years ago. But I was, um, I was one of the athletes at that time that got a sample of that too. So I yeah. was with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we had, I had to keep it in my fridge and, um, you know, sort of document how and when I was using them and, and, and what I felt. But it, no, I've never tried anything bagged from Magda. When she shows up with uh, some sample spoons, it's, yes, please, I'll try that. Well, that's because I already probably used it for, you know, a few weeks before I felt comfortable to give oh. it to, to Yuri. <laughs> so, so you are, uh, so you're vetting things on yourself before yes. you, before you uh, put them out there for the, for other athletes to try. That's very considerate of you. <laughs> yeah, I might have to take a different approach now you after might, hearing yeah. this. <laughs> you know, I tell you what, I I think I probably am a lot like Yuri in that there are very few things that I don't like. Um, but I bet you would get a lot of volunteers for beta testers yes. for, for your products. I know. I'm always uh, always looking for for uh, for people that are willing uh, not only to, you know, to test it, but to give great feedback and very honest feedback. Mm-hmm. So what kind of feedback is valuable to you when, when uh, people are testing your products? Well, I think that, uh, you know, taste aside, we talked about flavor. You know, flavor is important uh, in all product because if it doesn't taste good, you're not going to continue to, uh, to feed. And, you know, part of this game and, and, uh, in ultra endurance events is being able to continue to feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a numbers game. Uh, it's a, you know, you, there's only so much energy that you have stored and you have to continue to, uh, to provide energy and, and nutrients at the right time. But <clears throat> I think that, um, what's in addition to, you know, to, uh, to taste and that it actually works, that it's doing what it's supposed to do. Um, is also, you know, how portable is it? How easy is it to use? Is it pain in the butt? You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know. I know that um, <clears throat> that if it's too complex, no matter how efficacious it is, you're not going to use it. You know, if it's you know troublesome and 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 you know whether it's the packaging or the container that it comes in, or if it's you know too, um, you know. Too hard to mix it if it's not dissolving. Uh, all of that stuff matters. It's the full package, and we, you know, uh, we like to hear it all. And I like to hear, you know, all the stuff that doesn't work, uh, because that gives us, you know, room for improvement. Sure, sure. And I, the one thing that I wonder about, you know, it, it, it's easy to report on. Hey, this is, you know, this flavor I liked. It's and you know. That's that's acknowledged as subjective, right? It's right. easy to say, "Hey, this delivery system, you know, whether it's you know tearing the tab off a off a goo packet, or whether it's you know tearing you know you know for the chews or for what have you." It's easy to say it was um, how difficult or easy of a time you had yeah. in getting you know getting it into your mouth, right? But it seems that the most important part might also be the most difficult to get really good, useful information. And that's, you know, how well did it work? Because I, for myself, you know, I, you know, how well the food worked is only, you know, it's hard to separate it from 
a million other factors. How well did right. I sleep the night before? How much rest had I had in the last 48 hours in a given effort? So how do you test how well something right. actually uh, is doing its job? Right. And it, that doesn't happen overnight. That's an excellent question because it doesn't happen overnight. You know, it's not like here is a, you know, here's a product, please use it and call me tomorrow and tell me what do you think. Uh, you really have to get on the plan. You know, I, so for, so I do, I do work with athletes. Uh, you know, I have, you know, it's, it's our field testing group where, Mm -hmm. um, I have, you know, um, access to athletes that, you know, have never been introduced, for example, to go. And I started to work with someone, um, and, you know, like, let's say a couple of months ago, and yesterday, I keep you know, I I, I open my inbox and I you know I see this uh, this email where it says you know your recovery drink along with the branched amino acids capsules have made a huge difference in my recovery, um, and here is you know the difference that I see. So it didn't happen. It didn't happen over you know a day or two, or you know or three. This person you know noticed you know weeks after, um, and you know the way they, you know, the way they feel in consecutive workouts, uh, the way the muscles feel, you know, after, you know, after uh, heart sessions. Um, so it, it takes time. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen right away. Mm-hmm. Do you have people keep a log uh, of their of their activities while they're using uh, new products or, or something like that? I, I'm curious, you know, the, the how. Right. Yeah, it, 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 it depends, you know, on, on the objective and what we're trying to, uh, trying to accomplish and what we're trying to get out of it. But sometimes yes, and sometimes, um, it's just an honest feedback after, you know, weeks of being on the plan. I could nerd out over this forever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it makes a difference in, you know, and just in the long run, you know, I feel like if you, if you pay attention to the little things in sports nutrition um, and the recovery aspects of it at the right time, the right nutrients at the right time, you're going to stay in this sport for a lot longer and not beat yourself up. Magda, you have such an amazing array of job and running and family and all of these things that you're somehow able to tie together. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us on The Pinnacle today. Thank you for the opportunity. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Magda. Thank you, Yuri. (laughs) That's it for this episode of the Goo Pinnacle podcast. In the next episode, we'll be talking with Tim Tollefson, who also ran the UTMB. You're definitely going to want to catch that episode. He really tells a great story about the event. Hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to subscribe then rate and leave us a review on iTunes. It only takes a minute, and it'll help other athletes find us. For Yuri Hauswald and everyone at Goo Energy Labs, I'm Eldon Nelson. Thanks for listening to the Goo Energy Pinnacle Podcast.